When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Tennis Direct are Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au, and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. GLG Green Life Group. Celebrating 25 years. Your open space specialists at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome, everybody. Beautiful day in Melbourne town. Uh, great to be uh, back with you for another Monday. Brett Phillips in the chair, as I say. Your show, your thoughts. You can jump on, talk the world of tennis as we do every Monday night. 1300 736 736 or on the text. If you prefer that way, 0433 98 11 16. Always loving your contribution. You can talk domestic, you can talk abroad, you can bring something to the table we mightn't know about in the uh, tennis uh, landscape. The floor is yours. The latest on tour tonight, the latest on the Australian Open and the January summer of tennis as a whole. A new tennis book is out that we'll tell you about. We'll announce our second winner of our Tennis Direct Wilson giveaway competition to the value of $500, but most importantly, you and your calls. Your opinions welcome on the show every week. one 736 736 to weigh in. You can call in any time over the next hour. Let's get into our tour wrap. Thanks to Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, prices free. free delivery on orders over $150. Visit their website, Tennis Direct. .com.au right now. First serve listeners can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use that promo code FIRSTSERVE10. It's win number 1,000 on the ATP Tour for the great Rafael Nadal. Indeed it was over the last week, uh, Rafa, becoming the fourth male to reach the 1,000 ATP Tour wins milestone at the Paris Masters. Indoors, Jimmy Connors, of course, leads the pack. 1,274 career wins. Roger Federer, 1,242. Ivan Lindor, 1,068. Rafa now has 1,002 wins. Winning another Masters 1,000 title would have capped off the week beautifully, but it wasn't to be. Upstaged in the semi-finals by Alexander Zverev. Big going on there. Six four seven five. It went on to play Russia's Daniel Medvedev in the final. It was Medvedev who came from a set down to claim his third Masters one thousand title and his eighth career title overall. And with a double fault, and Daniel Medvedev claims his eighth ATP title, his third at Masters one thousand level. And significantly, his first title of the 2020 season. For the tournament, I was not in my best form. Played not so bad with the zero finals this year. And I was uh, actually, how can we call it, crying to my wife. Not crying, but just complaining. Like, 
oh my god, I don't have the level, I, I don't even have one final, I'm playing so bad, blah, blah, blah. So finally, I'm the winner of Bercy, a tournament that I love. Uh, first, uh, first title in France, first final in France, I mean, three Masters titles, just super happy and uh, hopefully can continue this. Uh, there he is, uh, Daniel Medvedev. It was Rublev last week, Medvedev this week. The Russians are going beautifully. They're good to listen to. They've got plenty of charisma. That elevates him to world number four, an unbelievable 2019, making a ton of ATP finals, winning titles, a Grand Slam final debut at the US Open. He rose to the top five. As he said in the audio you heard, he hadn't hit his straps in the tennis resumption this year, but he's firmly entrenched, no doubt, in the top echelon of men's tennis. As a result of that win, Roger Federer goes to unfamiliar territory, to number five in the world. Gee, a lot of people would love to be at number five, full stop. Uh, a bit of footage of uh, Roger hitting the training court this week with the aim to be uh, ready for the Australian Open 2021. Uh, someone who played very deep into their 30s, the great Martina Navratilova, weighing in this week on Roger's return on the Tennis Channel. You still need to have the movement and the feel and the timing because Roger is a very timing player, yes? And he's got such a huge variety of shots that it takes a long time to go through that repertoire to feel comfortable. It's a lot easier, I think, for a baseliner that that has less shots, less choices to come back from such a long layoff. And of course, he'll be 40 next year. So everything takes longer when you get older. The recovery takes longer. The muscle buildup takes longer and everything else slows down a little bit. I think he'll feel great, but I don't know if the end result can be as great because by the time, you know, he's very unforgiving. I hope that Roger can come back roaring again, but now he's you know, three years older than he was when that happened last time. So we'll see. Fingers crossed, though. Yeah, father time, it does catch up with all of us. I think she won her ninth Wimbledon at 37, Martina. So she speaks from experience of trying to get the job done when the body's not quite moving as well as it did uh, in your prime. The other talking points out of the final Masters 1000 event of the year, Argentine Diego Schwartzman, as a result of reaching the quarterfinals, so where he went down to Medvedev, uh, secured the eighth and final spot for the all-important season-ending ATP finals in London. A big reward for his great Form once tennis resumed in August. It'll be the first time he'll visit the O2, the first Argentine to make the year-end best eight since one Martin Del Potro back in 2013. Uh, Russian Andre Rublev uh, will also be a debutant, uh, grabbing the seventh spot. The pair joining Alexander Zverev, Daniel Medvedev, uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Dominic Team, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic to sign off on a 12-year run in London before the event heads to the north of Italy in beautiful Turin in 2021. So, from an Aussie perspective, Alex Dimonor, I stayed up late the other night. He had two good wins in Paris to set up a round of 16 matchup with the eventual winner, Daniel Medvedev. He grabbed the first set off the Russian. He played some beautiful tennis, you know, taking the ball early as he does, his angles, he... There was that look on Medvedev's face. Boy, oh boy, you're making me earn every single point. I'm going to come up with some pretty big stuff to get past. And he did in the end because he's a better player and he's better positioned, wins the last two sets, uh, two and two. Jordan Thompson reached the same stage where he met Rafa at a set point in the second set against the 20-time major champion. Had to convert that, who knows? But... Uh, this is the stage where Demonor and Thompson are trying to get to and the margins are small. But just the value of at least winning a couple of matches. So Jordan Thompson rises to 51. If he can do well at these Masters 1000 events, your ranking improves. So John Millman made the late dash from Kazakhstan, got off the plane, went straight to the court and 
Well, he succumbed in the first round. I reckon we'll let Johnny off uh, last week after his heroics and then having to get on a fair uh, plane flight. Back to the final. Alexander Zverev, the big German, finishing runner-up. Now, that's the on-court story of another pretty good week on tour. He's 27-9, two titles, two runner-up. But what is grabbing the headlines is the off-court story around Zverev. As he mentioned, he is going to become a young father with a former girlfriend, but another girlfriend has accused him of domestic violence. It's a pretty serious accusation. First, here is Zverev in his runner-up speech in Paris overnight. I know that there's going to be a lot of people that right now are trying to wipe a smile off my face, but under this mask, I'm smiling brightly. I feel incredible on court. I have the people that I love around me. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to be a father very soon, so, you know, everything is great in, in, in my life, and people that are trying, they can keep trying, but uh, I'm still smiling under this mask. So that's Alexander Zverev. Ben Rothenberg, tennis journalist with the New York Times, a lot of time on social media, far more time than I could ever want to spend on social media. In the last week, has spoken directly to the ex-girlfriend making the accusations. He explained on his own podcast, No Challenges Remaining, recorded on Friday, where Ben's been holed up in Washington through the whole pandemic, before Zverev's comment uh, overnight. Drive up to northern New Jersey to meet Olga Sharipova, known as Olya, to her friends to hear her story of what she says was a pattern of abuse, what she calls physical and emotional violence from her ex-boyfriend, Sasha Zverev, the recent US Open runner-up who has been groomed as an heir apparent star in men's tennis for years now. I found Olya's story to be incredibly compelling and powerful, and I was very very grateful to my friends and colleagues, Dave and Caitlin from Racket Magazine, who gave it all the space it needed to tell her story and do it justice and to establish the pattern of controlling behavior she laid out, which resonated strongly with so many readers. It's not an easy read by any stretch, but I'm glad that so many folks are taking the time to read it and hear her side. Zverev, meanwhile, has all but refused to comment pretty much on her allegations, just putting a short statement on Instagram, or two-part statement. The first part was about his other ex-girlfriend who's pregnant. A statement on Instagram basically saying that Sharipova's allegations were simply not true versus his words and questioning sort of her timing in announcing this. The ATP, perhaps most importantly, has been completely silent on all of this, ignoring requests for comments or questions or even acknowledging whether if they might be investigating Sharipova's accusations. So to discuss this silence, I'm joined in this episode by John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated and 60 Minutes, a longtime friend of NCR who led off his mailbag column this week with a discussion of the Zverev story. Serious allegations. This was someone who had a lot lot of specificity. She had, you know, it wasn't evidence per se, but she had a lot of documentation. There's somebody with contemporaneous knowledge. Um, you know, I, I wrote about it to your immense credit. You took it further and spoke with her and interviewed her and talked to her directly. And I thought that was, uh, it was, that was really a fine piece of journalism. Just get out of the way and, and let someone tell their story. This highlights how tennis and its structure and its governance is different from other sports. I can tell you that in other sports, if you have this fact pattern, doesn't mean guilt or innocence. I mean, just if you have this set of facts, the response from the league would be a lot different. Tennis doesn't really have a league, and they don't have the same structure as basketball, football, baseball. I mean, it, it would not even be a close call that we would have not just a statement, but we would have an action by the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball. They all have domestic violence policies that, you know, mm. pull off the internet. They've been negotiated. Tennis doesn't have that, and I think it's a real shortcoming. This does not require ethical Hawkeye. You know, this this is not, uh, <laughs> not, not even a close call. You have a woman making very serious allegations with a lot of specificity, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of institutional response, which honestly is, like, let, let alone sort of legal. Yeah, it's a really uh, fascinating story. We'll continue to monitor it. There's plenty uh, bubbling around in the 
young world of Sasha Zverev, who has obviously risen uh, from the juniors to make a, a really um, quick imprint on the men's tour, trying to challenge uh, the big three and... There's been plenty going on. It was only 12 months ago that he um, was having a major dispute with a former manager. I think that turned a little ugly. So there's a bit going on in the uh, Zverev uh, camp. But add that scenario to the many things that tennis is confronting globally in terms of its governance structure, tour structure, uh, plenty to sort out. Uh, also at the Paris Masters overnight, it was two players, and you can weigh in too, one 736 736 to the discussion as we look back our snapshot of the tour this week here on the first serve. But it was two very well credentialed players in singles. 23-year-old Hubert Hercash from Poland, world number 34. 20-year-old Felix Auger-Aliassime, the world number 21 from Canada, who teamed up to win the doubles, defeating the second seeds Marte Pavic and Bruno Suarez. Huge. I mean, Felix played unbelievable match. I mean, uh, Bruno and Marte are great doubles players. They, they, they play unreal. I mean, had no chances like throughout the sets. Like, we kept ourselves in the tiebreaker. So, I mean, we're so happy to win. What a fantastic week uh, for you guys who beat the number one, the number four, the number seven seed. Were you a bit surprised at how well it's going? Yeah, I mean, didn't expect before this week that we're going to play here on on Sunday. So a bit surprised, but uh, I mean, happy to, to finish the season like this. This is only your second tournament together. Yeah. Um, what makes you such a good pairing? Honestly, yeah, this is all unexpected. Uh, I, I enjoy my time with her. You know, I, I have to say, Schubert is a really nice person. You know, he has a really good heart. Uh, you know, he gives everything out there and he has fun and he's always smiling. So it's a joy. It's a joy to play with him and to be around him. And, you know, we know each other since juniors a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, we, we teamed up at the, earlier this year. We tried to play Vienna. We didn't get in. Uh, you know, hopefully that wouldn't be a problem, you know, going forward. Uh, but this week, yeah, this week was so unexpected. Uh, we started with a great match and just kept on playing better and better. We got a bit uh, lucky, you know, because doubles, you know, it's, we saved match points, three match points today. So uh, everything went on our side this week. What about next season? Are you staying together? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, after a win like this, that's, you know, it's pretty big. And uh, for sure, we're going to play more tournaments to, together probably next year in the indoor uh, swing and, uh, and hopefully you know uh, through the year and through every surface uh, there are a couple of young stars uh, those two Hibbert uh, Hercash and uh, also Felix Auger Aliassime so for London next week uh, one double spot uh, still to be confirmed Aussie John Pierce and his partner Michael Venice who made the quarters in Paris booking their spot Novak Djokovic has clinched the year end uh, number one ATP ranking for a record equaling six time he sets a new record as the oldest year end world number one the Serbian who finishes as the world number one for the sixth time in the past 10 years, draws level with his childhood hero, the American Pete Sampras, who ended six straight years at the pinnacle of men's professional tennis between 93 and 98. Uh, 16th time in the past 17 years, except Andy Murray back in 2016 that the year-end number one ranking has been held by Djokovic, Nadal or Federer. Andy Roddick, 2003, was the year-end number one. So this week, the final event of the year before the ATP finals, that's the 250 in Sofia in Bulgaria. John Millman had a comfortable first-round win overnight. Alex Dimonor also in the field, a first-round buy. He'll play doubles as well, as will uh, the Aussie Open runners-up, uh, Max Purcell and Luke Saville. Now, Peter Corder. How can we ever forget the quirky Peter Corder? 1998 winner of the Australian Open on the green Rod Laver Arena court. He won the AO doubles in 96, French Open singles finalists in 92, quarterfinal at Wimbledon and twice at the US Open in singles. Career high ranking of two, he won 10 career titles. 
He's got three children who are all very capable combined of upstaging that pretty good resume. So the oldest is daughter Jessica, pro golfer, for those that follow all your sport, five victories on the LPGA Tour. Second oldest is Nelly, also a pro golfer, five titles, three of those on the LPGA Tour. And his youngest child, his son Sebastian, who followed his dad down the pro tennis path. Now, Seb Corder won the Aussie Open Juniors back in 2018. And then he stepped up with the big boys. ITF circuit, then to the ATP Challenger circuit in the last two years. He's a real talent. As he's climbed the rankings, he's made eight finals, but he couldn't quite win one. Six ITFs, two challenges. He lost them all. But all that changed overnight for the 20-year-old breaking through in Germany in his ninth attempt. <laughs> yep, simple as that. It was just that reaction. And there's no, at a challenger, there's not 15,000 on their feet giving a rousing applause. You've got to create your own energy and your own celebration. He finally got their ninth time lucky and he knocked over Alexi Popper in the Australian in the quarterfinals. So the WTA tour with uh, so much uh, more of their tour having to be cancelled, of course, uh, through that whole Asian swing at the back end of the year. They'll play their final event in Austria uh, this week, the world number 11, the big hitting arena Sabalenka, the top seed there, hoping to add another title to her victory in the Czech Republic a fortnight ago. That is our tour wrap for uh, this week. If you want to weigh into that, one 736 736 Check out our website, thefirstserve.com.au, all their podcasts, all their written articles going up this week. We're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate. They're servicing all of Melbourne. If you're looking to buy, rent, sell, have that property investment managed, uh, David and his team will take your call tomorrow. 9558 4599 or top agents.com.au. The first serve. GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists, celebrating 25 years of industry experience and exceptional service at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back on this uh, Monday night. Brett Phillips uh, with you. Happy to take your calls. one 736 736 Just one on the text. And Nadal was building as he was adapting to the indoor hard court condition. He just needed more confidence in his footwork to run around that forehand instead of slicing. Uh, thank you, David, from Hawthorne for your contribution. But it is good to see a fairly fresh raffer for the season-ending finals. That hasn't always uh, been the case after a fairly arduous season. But the Australian summer of tennis, what is it going to look like navigating through a pandemic which has altered significantly the normal planning that would take place? It is the million-dollar question that everyone asks me every day. What is going on with January? Well, I thought I'd get on... Australian tennis legend. He's wearing his TA hat tonight, but does a beautiful job also as part of the Channel 9 tennis coverage. Uh, Todd Woodbridge, uh, great to have you back on the show, Todd. Yeah, good evening, Brett. How are you? What a question that you've just posed. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a question that has been changing yes. almost every 24 hours at the moment. Okay, Todd, I, I need to um, succinctly uh, try and get this across to all our tennis fans who want to know, because we're, we're hearing obviously November 26 is when tickets, they want tickets to go on on sale, but there's state governments that need to get their books in order and need to sign off on a few things before we can launch uh, what is going to happen for January. What, what can you tell us uh, tonight? Because there's plenty floating around. Uh, is everyone in the end going to come just to Melbourne? Do we scrap the lead-up? Can the lead-up go ahead with all the borders uh, in different situations around Australia? What, what's the latest as far as you know? Well, I think the most important thing is that we can assure everybody that the Australian Open no is doubt. going to go ahead and and that's the important thing is to protect that event. And the issues that we're, we're, we're having at the moment is um, 
as, as everybody's had around Australia, is not being able to have freedom of movement. And even though our numbers are going so well here in Victoria now, what are we, 10 days of zero and zero, mm. um, you need to have that confidence and sign off from the government um, that you can have play a movement around the country. And at the moment, you know, that isn't happening. So the contingency plan is out there that if um, we can't get that across the line, that it will be an all Melbourne affair um, for that first month of the year. Uh, so um, people will be saying, well, what's happening to the ATP Cup in Brisbane and Sydney? Well, that's still sitting on the table and not signed off. Um, TA are working very closely and very hard with both of um, the player associations. So the WTA, um, which is probably a little simpler in that um, the women just have the, the, the basic tournament, if you like, and the ATP is more difficult because you've got that multi-dimensioned ATP Cup and they're still working through how to pull that all together um, and, and where it goes. So there's no answer tonight on um, what that schedule is going to look like, but the certainty is that we've got the AO. So we need, we need to be able to assure the players um, can have that movement before we can sign off on a schedule. Yeah. So the ATP Cup, that, that is pretty self-explanatory because of three cities involved and then obviously uh, movement of you know teams that qualify to Sydney like we had last year. But then obviously there's players who arrive in Australia at one destination and will go to another destination before they get to Melbourne yeah. as part of their tune-up and playing those lead-up events. So let, let's just look at the scenario. If all the state governments aren't going to sign off on movement etc and everything comes to melbourne can you give us any feel todd of then what does what does january in melbourne totally look like is it all the tournaments being played as they are titled as they are but played in melbourne or is it going to look different in that you just scrap the normal atp cup you scrap the brisbane international hobart adelaide how, how does it i'm just trying to envisage how it would look all in yeah melbourne. well i think i think what we've got to remember is that all of the scenarios that you've just spoken about are basically sitting on a table and um the the, the best scenario is to be able to run our normal summer like we always have but there are going to be differences when we get down to it so i i think when you you look at the us open and how that went through where cincinnati was moved to melbourne there's the possibility of playing those tournaments within Melbourne leading into the Australian Open. Um, we, we probably have enough ground in Australia to, to play an ATP Cup there in terms of ground, I mean, you know, facilities of courts and so forth. But yeah. that, that'll be come, come down to the tour themselves and what they want to see their events uh, look like. Uh, I, I think, you know, also... When I mean, these are different things you look at. Out there right now, when we look at what's happening in Europe and the United States, uh, uh, the tours are going to be struggling after um, the Australian summer to get tournaments up. So mm. potentially, I don't know, maybe, maybe the players can stick around here um, and there's those options uh, on the table as well. So it's just so, um, it's so difficult to get that, that sign-off. And I think for, for the bosses at TA... Um, everything is sitting there ready to go. They've done such an amazing job of planning, yeah. but the plans change every day. So, it, you know, for all of the, the, the fans sitting out there going, well, will I be able to go? Well, you, you think about the Aussie Open at the moment. You mentioned tickets. There's the opportunity of, at the moment, the plan is for 25% of um, uh, people on the grounds and, and yep. watching matches. But given numbers, you've got to think and that there's a possibility that that will grow. So that's a real positive. So um, you, we've got to get the players into Australia, as you know, so they're going to have to quarantine. So there's a big um, focus on giving them a, a quality training bubble so that they obviously can't 
can't come down here and sit in a hotel for 14 no. days and come out and snap carbs and hamstrings and things like that. So um, that's the next part is about working out um, whereabouts they will be able to be in that training bubble so that they can be best prepared. Now, if, if I'm looking from the outside, and obviously you and I and many others listening in, we don't sit inside government circles and know all mm. the discussions that go on, but I've got no doubt TA would have planned it beautifully, and I feel for sports administrators trying to navigate through a, a pandemic, but it, it seems like, like the US Open did, they had that, you know, really sort of biosecurity bubble of going to the practice courts, back to the hotel, sealed transport, you're not um, conversing with the public now. I mean, you, you would think on the surface, surely that there's common sense that that could be approved, but it, it, you're right. I mean, the players aren't going to sit in a hotel for two weeks. I mean, that, that's a huge thing to sign off just to get everyone here because no doubt everyone wants to come to Australia. They want to come here for a grand slam. They don't need any convincing of that. Uh, but that, that's, a, yeah. that's a huge one, isn't it? Well, it is, and I think that from the players' perspective, um, they're very confident about coming here. They see our case numbers, so they, yeah. they know that's going to be good. TA are going to do everything within their power to make sure um, that that bubble and everything is as tight as it can be to keep everybody healthy. You know, they're talking with the, the best health and medical experts about the safety of the players and, and our community as well, you know, the, the community around Australia. So that means convincing you know, the local authorities um, that we've got the best practices in place. And if we can convince them of that, maybe then we'll have some more certainty from them. But in the, in the meantime, the players are very confident that that's what TA is going to deliver. And you've got to remember the reputation that we have as a tournament is doing it the best. We've driven how all the other tournaments um, have looked over this last decade. So we've got the advantage of watching, of having watched the US Open, watching what happened in Paris and being able to deliver the best quality tournament um, for what spectators we can get on ground, but also for what um, the broadcast is going to look like to go back to the rest of the world. So it's just getting down to that D-Day really to, to make that decision on the schedule. And I think it's got to come pretty soon because the players are not far away from having to get here, as you know. They'll need to be yeah. here by the 14th of December to, yep. to start that first week of the new year. Well, well, TA had certainly indicated from everything we've read in the last week that November 13 was a key deadline. That's this Friday. I mean, it, it appears, though, mm. that that could probably be extended, would you think, just outside looking in for another week or two? Well, I, you know, I, I think there comes a point when you have to um, you have to get travel arrangements in and you have to get players here. So I, I, I think that's the pressure that um, is everybody is under and they, they need to make that call so we, we can get everybody down here and get ready to play and um, I, I think I think we'll have something by the end of next week and we'll, we'll know what that looks like but I think from a fan perspective Brad it's really important just to, to note that we're going to have tournaments um, we, we're going to have multiple tournaments and it's just looking different to what it's ever looked before but we're not going to be sort of starved or depleted of what we've had in, in previous years so that's a good thing for, for tennis fans down here. No, no doubt. I mean Adam, one of our great listeners, Todd, he's up in Tweed Heads he listens to our show uh, every week. Half his luck wouldn't mind being in that part of the world. If the ATP yeah, Cup... wouldn't we have liked that. <laughs> if the ATP Cup does not go ahead in Brisbane I'll be absolutely crushed as I was hoping to work up there. Make it happen, Tennis Australia somehow well yeah unfortunately it's a little bit out of uh, tennis australia's uh, hands but hopefully by the time we get to then if everything does come to melbourne for whatever reason that people can at least travel and uh, and those who are fanatical about their tennis uh, taking a, a month as opposed to maybe a week or two in your home 
cities around Australia. But all that to play out. Todd, we're not going to solve the problems of the world uh, tonight, but uh, it's, a, it's a really, really tough one. And hopefully, yeah, with all the case numbers coming down, that you know, crowds is the thing that we want back at sporting events. And hopefully the timing Absolutely. of all that will marry up beautifully. I think, I think it's important, too, for the listeners to understand that um, the biggest names are committed to coming. You know, you've got Roger committed, you've got Rafa committed, you've got Novak committed, you've got Serena committed. They're, they are all in an important part of their career where, where slam numbers matter. Yep. Um, Roger hasn't played for nearly 12 months, so there's these stories and bits of drama that are, are linked to wanting to be here and wanting to be out on court and challenging um, some of those records. So um, we know that they're ready to get here. So, so that's good. It's not going to be um, a, a depleted-looking player field, I can promise you that. Thanks, Todd. We'll uh, watch this space. So I appreciate your time as always. A pleasure, Brett. Todd Woodbridge. Just giving us some insight. Well, basically, we get out of that that it's just many, many balls up in the air. So I know TA have been uh, keen to be fairly tight-lipped at this stage. I did want to get someone on to at least uh, have a, a comment tonight. But, I mean, what Todd has said there is what I knew and what uh, plenty of people knew. I, I just get the feeling, reading that article about a week ago when TA was seriously thinking about bringing everything to Melbourne, that maybe something's telling them there from the responses they've got from the various state governments that, gee, there's a big doubt that uh, we can get every state on the same page and that we've seriously got to play everything in Melbourne. That'll be interesting. Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, all thanks to Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery and orders over $150. So just go to their website, tennisdirect.com.au. Use that promo code, first serve 10, you'll get 10% off. The first serve, your home of tennis. Sport. GLG Green Life Group, your open space specialists. Celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Great to be with you on a Monday night uh, talking the world of tennis. Brett Phillips with you with a number, 1300 736 736. Uh, Richard Norton, author of a great book, uh, Daphne Eckhurst, to join us in just a moment. But Greg's in beautiful uh, Strathbogie here in Victoria. G'day, Greg. Mate, we're looking forward to seeing you, uh, thinking outside <laughs> the box and yes. having you up here. Right but I was just thinking... I'm ready to go, Greg. If you, yeah, we'll organise that off the uh, station, but... Um, <laughs> I was just thinking, if you flew all the way from Europe yep. and if we weren't able to play outside of the Australian Open, could Tennis Australia put a regional tournament in place so at least people coming all the way out here could play again? Mm. And country Victoria has been bashed by this virus. Yep. It would be the biggest thing, the biggest fill-up. And in the old days, a lot of people used to do that. Well, I'll tell you what, Greg, uh, I think last year, because there were the fires uh, going through Canberra, they moved one of the second challenges to Bendigo, I'm pretty sure, which had a really good uh, field. In that last week or two before the Australian Open, we know Bendigo's got a great tennis facility. Uh, Terrelgan's got a great tennis facility. Uh, there's, there's many across some of the bigger towns in, and regions, uh, Geelong. Yeah, I mean, look, I was tr trying to sort of get out of Todd there, and he, I mean, I don't think he probably knows, but if we're going to bring everything to Melbourne for the month of January, what's it going to look like? Can we maybe uh, create a couple of extra challenges? There's going to be a lot of players, a lot of players here looking for uh, matches heading towards uh, the Australian Open. So 
Stay tuned. Greg, I'll speak to you. I'm going to get up to beautiful Strathbogie. You've been sending me photos of the magnificent courts up there. You've done a beautiful job to revitalise uh, that club. Uh, mate, thank you for your call. Uh, most Australians are familiar with the name Daphne Ackhurst because of the silver trophy awarded to the winner of the Australian Open women's title uh, each year, the Daphne Ackhurst Memorial Cup. But little is actually known about her. Author Richard Norton has released the uh, title book, uh, Daphne Ackhurst, The Woman Behind the Trophy, and he joins us on the show tonight. Uh, thanks for your time, Richard. Oh, Brett, thank you. Thank you. It's, nice to be here. Yeah, it's a good read. You've written many uh, tennis books um, across your journey as an author, but, yeah, every year, and I do uh, some of the, uh, the court announcing on Rod Laver, and we always mention the name uh, Daphne Ackhurst, and it's held in huge regard, obviously, in tennis, but... There are a lot of people. She did play all the way back in the sort of 1920s, 1930s. Tell us a bit more about Daphne Ackhurst. Well, as you... Because I sent you through some of the stuff about the book, but uh, she died um, at a very young age, and it was very sad. She was only 29 when she died. Um, But she was obviously a very magnificent player because she reached a ranking of number three in the world, but the the story, I think, is quite interesting because um, we make the point that um, there were a group of women. It wasn't just her, but there were five or six women that were really um, at a level of that were able to play amongst the uh, top group of players in the world. Because there were two times during the 1920s when a group of women travelled overseas and played at Wimbledon and. At Europe and um, in the United States, and I, I think probably they, the group that played then, were really as good as Australian women really until the 1960s. So that that in itself is quite interesting. Yeah, no in doubt. Ways. I mean, she won the Australian Ladies Singles Championships, as it was known uh, back then, five times, and uh, in, in between 1925 and 1930. So she went. On an unbelievable run, but as you mentioned, I mean, the, the 1920s was a period where players were starting to head overseas. It was a period of change. Players became certainly more uh, aggressive. So we we know about some of her exports, and maybe you can tell us a few more on court, but what about just a bit more about Daphne Akers, the person? Well, I, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting story because she, she was very talented, not just as a as a tennis player but she um was musically gifted she even as a little girl she uh played um concerts as a pianist um and then she trained at the sydney conservatorium of music and was highly gifted in that regard she was a school teacher um while she traveled she wrote newspaper articles so uh she was a a journalist um uh and all this is recorded and the stories of all this kind of stuff are told in the book um and uh in addition to that i think we also use the book as a way of telling um a lot about the other players it's not just a story about Daphne but it's a story about a lot of the other names of that era the the other women who traveled with her in the in the teens because they're just as important I mean people like Esna Boyd who was her great 
rival the woman from Victoria who, mm. because Daphne was so good, she mm. was the woman who was constantly beaten by, by her. <laughs> and and uh, and I think it's also, um, it's not just a story about the... Um, the finals of the Australian Championship because, or Daphne travelling to Wimbledon, but um, because anybody could more or less tell those sort of stories. But um, in some ways it's useful to talk about the development of tennis as a sport during that period and the growth of the game and uh, the development of the sport for for women in that time. And I was just thinking a little while before about the kinds of things we could talk about, but um, one of the things that um, people in Sydney would probably know about and young schoolgirls playing the game is the name the Tildesley Shield, which is the schoolgirls competition in Sydney. But Mm. that started at the time Daphne was playing because... Uh, the Tilsley Shield was actually given as a competition by her school, Norman Normanhurst School, yep. and it is named in honour of the headmistress at Normanhurst, and it was given when um, Daphne was a 15-year-old at Normanhurst because Daphne was so good, and it was a, a competition that was started when... Um, Daphne was playing at Normanhurst School um, by the headmistress at Normanhurst. So that that in itself is is quite an interesting story, and Absolutely. it started back in two two uh, nineteen eighteen. Yeah. So it's just gone through its. Yep. Well, I think it's a great, uh, a gr- yeah, yeah, it's a great book to uh, for people to get hold of. Who, uh, whatever generation you are, and um, uh, for you know, uh, sort of my generation, if you like, and and younger to to go back and learn a bit of tennis history and and why Daphne Akers has been uh, put on the uh, the trophy for the Australian Open uh, ladies. When I mean, you've written many fine books. A story of Norman Brooks, Australia's first Wimbledon uh, champion. Muscles, a story of Ken Rosewell, Australia's uh, little master of the courts. Uh, there's there's plenty of good reads that you've done over the years. Um, where can we get Daphne Eckers, the woman behind the trophy, uh, Richard? I'm pretty sure it's at bookstores, or if not now, will be soon, but it's also available online or you can order it through slatterymedia.com, um, the website of the Slattery um, company. Um, Good stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Right. No, I really appreciate you giving just a little teaser of what's in the book and people can read it in uh, in full and, uh, and get a great account of Daphne Akers, the woman uh, behind the trophy. Richard, uh, really appreciate you jumping on the well, show. Well, thank you for having me on the program. That's great. Good on you, mate. Richard Norton, the author of uh, a book uh, that is worth a read, no doubt. Add that to your uh, tennis library. We're going to come back after the break and announce our second winner of our Wilson giveaway competition. DLG Green Life Group, your market leader in commercial open space maintenance and management. Celebrating 25 years throughout Australia at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back. Our last uh, part of a, a Monday night, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We are going to draw our second winner of our Wilson giveaway competition. I did speak to uh, Heather Thompson on the way home from the show last week up in uh, country Victoria. You'll be getting her goods delivered. So, of course, uh, four winners from your magnificent entries uh, right throughout the month of October. 
uh, racket and all the accessories to the value of $500. A very elaborate sort of uh, setup we've got here to uh, decide our uh, second winner. Let's uh, pluck a name out. Hopefully you're, uh, you're feeling a little lucky. Here we go. Our second winner is Bruce Weatherly from Langwarren in Victoria. Bruce, congratulations. We might even see. We've got time, Sam. We might even try and see if we can just sneak in, Bruce. If he does answer, he might not be. He might be having a hit. A uh, bit of pennant on a uh, Monday night, but uh, what a magnificent part of the world uh, Lang Warren is, uh, Bruce. So you are our second winner. We'll see if we can uh, get him up. In the meantime, we know the Maguire family needs no introduction, uh, led by Ed. Older brother, Frank Maguire. Younger sister, Bridget Maguire, who uh, is uh, fairly understated compared to uh, the Collingwood uh, president, to be fair to say, but she's had a lifetime in tennis. She's a tennis parent now. She's the president of the Women's Tennis Association uh, here in Australia. She's been a former marketing manager at Tennis Australia. She features on our Aussies Only podcast. That'll be uh, dropped uh, this week, so make sure you check that out. Here's a little excerpt of uh, Bridget McGuire. I'm about nine or ten at this stage, and there was an 18-year-old coach who, who turned up who had grown up in Oak Park, which was just down the Broadie railway line, a few stops down, who had been and played in the States, and he was back. He had some injury, and he started coaching at all the little clubs. His name was Craig Tizer. He's actually gone on to coach wow. some pretty good players, as we know. But Craig was amazing. And, and for those of you viewers who don't know, Craig is, is obviously coach of world number one, our very own Ashley Barty, and, and he's coached a number of fantastic juniors. So I was very lucky to have, have mm. a coach. Um, this is my first... No one had played tennis in my family. My brothers had sort of... My oldest brother had picked up squash. He was a state-grade squash player. Um, my next brother, he'd started playing a little bit of tennis and so forth, but I was the one at, you know, age 9 and age 10 that tennis was going to be something that I could get involved in. And Craig was just, from the get-go, really encouraging. After a couple of lessons, he said, Bridget, you need to play tournaments, get into it. And uh, I was a really shy little girl. I didn't really know what tournaments were or what tennis was about, and this was all new, and we didn't have any background in it. But um, he kept in encouraging me to, to go along and I did and I started to get some success and enjoyed that so I kept kept going. Craig, as we know, he didn't stay around for too long. He went on and got bigger opportunities because he was such a fantastic coach. And so that was my first introduction. I think it's really important. It just goes to show the role of the coach, mm. how important that role is in encouraging and helping that love or inspiration that you might find for tennis. There might be all sorts of things that drive you towards it, but there's got to be someone else that's going to, to help. Yeah, there is uh, Bridget McGuire, uh, sister of Eddie McGuire, uh, sister of Frank McGuire, and uh, she does play a big role in uh, tennis and doing a great role with the Women's Tennis Association, helping fund a lot of the young female players on their way with scholarships. I think we've tracked down Bruce Weatherly in uh, beautiful Lang Warren on this Monday night. Bruce, congratulations. Thank you very much. Were you due for a, a new racket? Bruce? I actually am. <laughs> yes. I've got a racket that um, <laughs> actually I've got a Prince Precision that's about 20 years old. So, so. Same as stars. <laughs> <laughs> How often do you get out and have a hit, Bruce? Are you connected to a club? Uh, yes, I'm actually president at Overport Park in Frankston South, but oh. in terms of getting on the court these days, not that often, but uh, this... Uh, might be the might be what I need to get back this get might, back on the court. This might be the remaking of you, mate. Just in the middle of the, the beautiful Wilson racket uh, strings. Those forehands will be uh, just uh, coming off uh, beautifully. Just uh, before I let you go, Bruce. I mean, to see the tennis courts back open here in Victoria, uh, obviously just fantastic. Not only for your club, but um, for everyone in tennis in this state. Oh, definitely is. Um, our members have uh, 
we have really been really keen to get back on the onto the court, and now that we can, it's um it's fantastic. So yeah, it's it's really good that everyone can, can get back on the court. Yep, good stuff. Hey, congratulations, Bruce. Thanks for entering, and uh, we'll get your goodies out to you uh, quick, smart. Great. Chris right. Weatherly, there he is, and Lang Warren, uh, President Overport Tennis Club, Frankston South. Might do uh, make a trip down there and uh, see how Bruce does hit them out of the middle. Uh, thanks for your company uh, tonight. Thanks for your interaction. Let's hope we can have a decision by this time next week on the Australian Summer of Tennis. Uh, that would be very nice. Uh, all thanks to our good friends at Tennis Direct. Of course, uh, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150. Just go to their website. Great supporters of ours, tennisdirect.com.au. Use that promo code first serve 10 Just get a nice little discount, even on items that are already discounted. We'll do it all again next Monday night from 7 o'clock here on SCN. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to the live shows you miss on a Monday night. Plus our weekly themed podcast content, including Aussies Only, Crunching the Numbers and In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Plenty of content to listen to weekly. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.